Jill Dolan has made theater her life, and she's taught at Princeton for a number of years. And she asks us, as she asks her students, why many of us go to the theater at all. And she suspects, actually believes, that many people are drawn to live theater and performance for reasons that are emotional, spiritual, or communitarian in nature, though they probably aren't aware of it. Dolan even dares bring in the notion of utopia. She writes, Theater remains, for me, a space of desire, of longing, of loss, in which I'm moved by a gesture, a word, a glance, in which I'm startled by a confrontation with mortality, my own and others. I go to theater and performance to hear stories that order, for a moment, my incoherent longings that engage the complexity of personal and cultural relationships and that often critique the assumptions of a social system I find sorely lacking. I want a lot from theater and performance. She continues, I'm not interested in constructing a utopia, although many of us who engage politically with nonprofit organizations work to devise such systems through our memberships on boards of directors and through the idealism of social service groups that want to do things differently. My concern here is theater and with how utopia can be imagined or experienced affectively through feelings in small, incremental moments that performances can provide. As Richard Dyer says, entertainment does not present models of utopian worlds. Rather, the utopianism is contained in the feelings it embodies. It presents what utopia would feel like rather than how it would be organized. It thus works at the level of sensibility, by which I mean an affected code that is characteristic of and largely specific to a given mode of producing culture. Those words of Jill Dolan in an essay titled Performance, Utopia, and the Utopian Performative. And if she's right that many theater makers take part in live performances because they're ready to be challenged by playwrights and directors to create experiences not just of what our present and past realities feel like, but also to help us imagine, help us feel, even fleetingly, a world in which we can all participate more equally and with more chances to live fully, in her words. The question being asked now in the theater world is whether such hopes can ever be realized if the cast, the crew, and all concerned don't reflect the diversity of the world as it is today. WVIA-TV's Keystone Edition Arts Program has invited representatives of three different regional theater companies to come to the table this Monday evening to talk about issues of diversity, inclusion, and equity before a live studio audience. One of the guests is Amy Byrne, an ensemble member at BTE, who will talk about the way the Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble has been addressing these matters. Mindy Kronk is the producer of Keystone Edition Arts, and she had a chance to speak by phone with Amy Byrne to learn something about her understanding of the importance of theater in our lives. I understand that you grew up in Tennessee. How did you find Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble? Uh, You know, me ending up at BTE is one of those beautiful kismet-type stories where I was at a place in my life that I was thinking, how on earth is this going to work? 
And then BTE and I found each other, and it was uh, this wonderful connection. So I went to graduate school. I got my Master's of Fine Arts in acting at West Virginia University, which is where I met my husband. And shortly after I graduated, we actually moved to Ohio for a year for his job. And while we were there, I was uh, commuting an hour to Columbus to work with Columbus Children's Theater, and I was teaching Saturday mornings at Wayne State College. And then he got transferred to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and we're looking up Williamsport, PA before our move, and I'm thinking, how on earth am I going to make my master's in theater degree work in rural Pennsylvania? It's already hard enough in rural Ohio. And we made the move. I uh, worked as an adjunct professor for Lycoming College for a few years, and I was doing work with a theater on a shoestring company uh, in Williamsport, PA. And then people kept saying, have you looked at BTE? And I'm like, what's BTE? And they said, well, there's a professional theater company in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. And I said, no way. There's no way there's a professional theater company out here. And I looked it up. Sure enough, there they were. Uh, I reached out, and um, Elizabeth Dowd reached back and said, hey, yeah, come see our current show. And I got super lucky that that particular performance that I chose to see They had the playwright in, and they had a little get-together after the show. I got to meet the entire company. Everybody was incredibly welcoming, and I was just like, hey, I'm letting you guys know I'm here. Here are my credentials. I don't know if you're looking for anybody. And uh, shortly after that, they were looking for a new education director, and I applied, and I started my journey home ever since. And you worked with Theater in the Classroom. Can you tell us about that and who the audience is for that? Yes. So our Theater in the Classroom is a touring production that goes around to schools, uh, primarily elementary and middle school. We hit ages sometimes pre-K all the way up through eighth grade. And these are educational, interactive school performances. We always like to make the joke about performing in the Gemma Cafetorium. So they're, uh, they're low budget so that they can travel. They're educational. They're, we pick a variety of different topics. We've done, you know, uh, the amazing uh, Benjamin Franklin. We have done uh, women's suffrage, uh, inventors and their inventions. Uh, our next one that we are doing is going to be about the Buffalo Soldiers and their part in the National Parks Movement. And it's fantastic because we get to reach kids in places that, you know, have maybe never seen a theater production, would maybe never see a theater production. They are, you know, sometimes fun, silly shows. Sometimes they're very serious. It's a good mixture to keep the kids engaged and involved. And it's one of, I think, the the best things that BTE does in terms of educational outreach um, and just audience outreach, you know, where we're hoping to make lifelong theater goers as early as we possibly can. And what does it mean to you to be an ensemble member? Oh, goodness. Well, I have to say BTE is really special and it is super unique in the theater industry to to have a place where theater artists can have full-time year-round employment 
and have a say in the artistic direction of the company is really rare. Uh, as an actor and director, normally you're working from gig to gig, um, moving around, getting work where you can. So to be able to be entrenched in a community and of that community and create work for and with that community and build, you know, a, a company of like-minded artists that are working towards the same goal is really special and unique. And I think the the ensemble nature of the ensemble is what's so special about it for me. Like, we really are all rowing the boat, you know, and it takes all of us to make that boat go. And I... I treasure that every day, and I never take for granted how lucky I am to have found that for my career. And do you have a favorite role from your recent performances? Oh, that's always so hard. You know, you you come to love different roles for different reasons. I have to say my most recent role that I loved a lot was as Cannibal Queen in Airness which was a play about air guitar competitions, which is just as absurd as it sounds. It was a really good time. Um, the show was uh, very fun. It was like, it's like having a rock concert on stage, but we're playing air guitar. And these characters have really big personas that they put on for competition. And and I had this big, huge, long ponytail, this wild makeup, these crazy costumes. And I was playing a character that was just very different from what I am like personally. And I always love a role where I get to step out entirely from my natural state of being and explore something um, very different from myself. So that's probably the most recent one that I love a lot. But Prior to that, I would have to say my um, my character in a show we did called The Nether is probably one of my all-time favorite roles that I ever took on, and it was my first role on stage at BTE, and The Nether is a really dark play. We did it uh, where we brought the audience on stage with us, so it was very intimate, very close up, and because of the sensitive nature of the show and having the audience right there, it was just this very visceral experience that uh, I think will stay with me for the rest of my career. And what play will you appear in next? I will be on stage next in Six Characters in Search of an Author, which is a co-production with the Bloomsburg University and is a new adaptation written by Professor David Miller. And what do you like about doing co-productions like that? I absolutely love getting to work with the college students. I think that there is an energy and an interest from young training thespians that is really invigorating, sometimes reinvigorating for those of us that have been working for a long time. And since I do have experience teaching college kids, I they're not kids, they're adults. They are adults. Uh, but since I have experience working with college students, I feel really comfortable in that environment. I love being able to, you know, treat them as a co-collaborator and a contemporary, but also be able to offer any mentorship and guidance that I, that I can give them based on my experiences. And 
I just, I love getting to work with people that are at the beginning of something. I find that part of journey of a journey to be particularly interesting. It goes back a little bit to your experiences in theater in the classroom, I imagine, getting getting that audience at that young age. Yes, and I think a lot about my formative theater experiences. And my mom took me to theater productions uh, when I was a young child. I remember going to see, like, Cinderella. We had a, a regional theater about an hour away from, from where I grew up, and I, I showed up to watch Cinderella, and I had dressed up in a princess dress, and I was, you know, there for your, I, I was probably maybe six years old or something like that, and uh, the fairy godmother rode out on stage on a motorcycle, and my mom was kind of like, whoa, okay, how's she going to respond to this? This is not what she was expecting, and I loved it, <laughs> so... Um, you know, I, I think about that uh, a lot, and that was a, a really formative experience that stuck with me always. And uh, I hope that, you know, we're giving some of those experiences to others. Now, BTE is offering this season assisted listening devices for yes. the audience. Can you tell us what those are and what else does BTE offer for the audience? Yes, absolutely. We finally got our, this has been a long time coming, this assisted listening system that we've been um, uh, been working to install. So this enables anyone that has any difficulties with hearing. They get, I believe it's like a headphone set and a, and a unit that, um, I apologize, I have not seen it in person since it got installed. I was on maternity leave. This happened officially while I was gone, but people are able to then hear the production in their ears. They can control their volume. We've got special microphones that are set up that funnel into that system so that they get a clear audio of the the show that they are seeing live and they're then better able to hear it. And in terms of other things that we offer, um, in addition to being a handicap-accessible theater and an ability to reserve handicap-accessible seats, we also have been working toward offering sensory-friendly performances. Uh, we had one of our summer shows, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, this past summer. We did one of The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime several seasons ago. Our next summer production, Dragon's Love Tacos, will have a sensory-friendly performance, and we're working toward being able to offer those for both our summer theater shows and for our Christmas shows. Unfortunately, we are not able to offer one for this upcoming Christmas show, but we are working on it for future productions. And the sensory-friendly performances, we keep the house lights up to a higher level so that people can see Patrons are able to walk around, move throughout the audience um, as they need to. We change loud sound cues. We change lighting cues that are potentially overstimulating for people. We work with the actors for any uh, heightened emotional moments, any adjustments that we can make there. And we also create a warning system for the audience for any heightened emotional moments that are coming up so they can choose to disengage with that moment if they so wish. We also offer a quiet room where people can go if they get overstimulated or just need a break from watching the production. 
We offer, uh, this last time we offered fidget spinners and things like that that could help somebody if they needed something tactile, and that has been wonderful. We also offer uh, interpreted sign language performances when we are able. We're working to make that more consistent. It's an ongoing, ever-evolving commitment that we have to accessibility. So we're constantly looking for ways that we can improve and become more accessible for our audiences. And have you received feedback from the community on the changes and the additional offerings like this? Uh, Yes, I know specifically that we had a wonderful response to our last sensory-friendly performance for The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, The community really loved it. Um, It was greatly attended, and everyone was really excited about more sensory-friendly options coming up in the future. Does preparing for, I'll focus on the sensory-adjusted performances, how does that change for you as a performer? Do you find that that contributes then to the performances you do when it isn't focused on reducing the sensory experience? You know, that is a great question. I actually have not been on stage for one of our sensory-friendly performances as an actor yet. I directed The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, so I can't speak to the on-stage aspect of it. I can speak to the the behind-the-director's-table component of it, and I do think that it was a very interesting experience going through the tech process to create the sensory-friendly show. You know, we had to, like, monitor sound levels, and we flagged, you know, light cues. We actually had, we had a consultant come in. Our assistant director brought him in, and um, he is uh, on the spectrum, and he sat down, and he watched a dress rehearsal, and he flagged uh, all of the things that he thought uh, were worth us taking a specific look at that were above or beyond any of the adjustments that we had already made, um, and we implemented all of those. And so uh, it definitely is an interesting process from behind the the tech table, uh, especially as a director, because you're always thinking about, you know, how do we make that theater magic? And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a lot of theater magic. You know, you have a character who disappears and reappears. Uh, You have a lot of fantastical elements, and so much of that was contingent on what we call theater magic, you know, lights and sounds and effects. And I had this real concern of like, oh, no, we're going to lose that storytelling component if the magic isn't there. But that didn't end up being the case at all. And it was a really good and interesting reminder to me as the director that we're creating that spark of imagination for our audiences. And you don't necessarily have to fill in all those gaps because if you're setting the right foundation, they're going to fill in that storytelling magic. Um, And that was really cool. Amy Byrne, ensemble member at BTE, BTE, the Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble, speaking with Mindy Kronk, the producer of Keystone Edition Arts, in anticipation of the program on Monday evening discussing diversity, inclusivity, and equity in theater. And we'll have three guests. Amy Byrne will be one of them. And the program gets underway on WVIA-TV 
at 7. It is live, and it will be broadcast before a studio audience. And from what we gather in the lists of people signing up to come, we see that there are theater people from all around the region wanting to be in the audience to engage in this important conversation. So it is Keystone Edition Arts, Diversity, Inclusivity, and Equity in Theater, and it's Monday evening on WVIA-TV at 7. It is live, and we'll have three panelists, and the panelists include Amy Byrne from the Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble, and Brandon Hanks, the producing artistic director of Rebel Stages in Delaware Water Gap, and Scott Collin, the artistic director of the Little Theater in Wilkes-Barre, the Little Theater of Wilkes-Barre, marking its 100th anniversary this season. So it will be interesting to talk with Brandon, for example, who is founder, co-founder of Rebel Stages in Delaware Water Gap, a relatively new theater company, and the Little Theater artistic director a long-standing community theater, and then bringing into the mix Amy Byrne representing a professional company, an ensemble theater, a regional theater, a professional theater. So please join us, and it's this Monday evening at 7 on WVIA-TV. We stream live, and for that stream, wvia.org. So we hope you'll join us, and for more information, wvia.org. Thanks to you, Mindy Kronk, and thanks to you, Amy Byrne, and join all of us on Monday evening at 7 on WVIA-TV.